0: yes, Alice um Alice serves in this congregation as a deacon um uh, we're very honored to have her in our midst Alice is truly passionate about the gospel like uh, all you know and knows Alice is passionate about one thing, and that's the Gospel of Jesus Christ and it's saving it's saving power um Alice when I speak to people about Alice then like the Mouths hang open. Uh, no, I, I, I can make things twenty percent more than what they are usually, but um, Alice is one of those people that you, exp- if you explain it to other people, they're like, no, there can't be a person like that, you know. Um, Alice, uh, she literally walks the streets of Cape Town with uh, teams at night, um, ministering on the streets and seeing God do amazing, amazing things. Um, you wouldn't even know this about her if you don't know her. But Alice is about eighty, ninety percent blind. Um, she just, she literally walks by faith and not by sight. Um, and it's incredible to see that. I don't know how she, how she, how she does it. I don't know how she does life. I kind of look at it and then it, it doesn't make sense. And then I th- think about something else. Um, but um, I think it's um, Angus Buchan that once said that God told them what you say will not change people but who you are they will not get what you say as much as they get who you are um, and so that's also true we want what you have alice we want who you are we want the importation that there is at so open up your hearts and receive um, from alice this morning um, i look forward to that thank you alice can we put our hands together and just welcome alice
1: Thanks, dear Bia. That was a lot about me. The rest of this morning won't be about me. (laughs) Um, As we sang, God is worthy. He really is worthy. Worthy to be glorified in everything we do, every step we take, every word we say. And I want to just encourage you guys this morning. So this morning's sermon will not have anything to do with what we must go out and do, but rather who we are. Just like David just said, what our character is. We are the kingdom of God. How many of you know that we are the kingdom of God? This is the kingdom of God. There's nothing more to it. This is it. (laughs) Us as believers come to Jesus Christ, knowing him, filled with the Holy Spirit. We are the kingdom. We are the kingdom. Yeah, Thank you, Lord, for that privilege, that that is exactly who we are, Lord. We are your kingdom. And we can, this morning, just remind ourselves that that is who we are. That is who you've made us to be, Lord. That we can go from this place to be a light because that's who you said we are. We can go and share the gospel because we've redeemed people that's been forgiven of sin, and we can continue in this battle against sin and this battle against darkness because of who you have called us to be, Lord. And this morning we come and just (laughs) rejoice in the fact that we are saved. We are yours. We belong to you. We are your church. We are your church. I want each of you to just quickly remember the day when you got saved, when you first met Jesus, when you first heard his voice. Maybe you haven't even responded to that voice, yet, but just quickly remember what it sounds like. When Jesus called you and he said, you are mine. You can't help but rejoicing in that, and feeling the Holy Spirit stirring up inside you. This is the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jesus. We rejoice in that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. From the beginning of the proclamation of the gospel, there's only been expansion in the kingdom. The believers, filled with the Holy Spirit, has been playing a bigger role in the growth of the kingdom than even Jesus himself. I'm going to start this morning by telling you a familiar story, so you can use your imaginations with me. There's a very strange man called John, more commonly known as John the Baptist. He was strange in many ways, but mainly because he wore camel's hair and ate locusts. So even back then, that wasn't a particular particular fashionable outfit, and definitely not an appetizing diet. (laughs) And he lived in the desert, so if you ever have no place to stay, then the desert probably is the last place where you would want to find yourself. Uh, John was a special man indeed. And even before he was born, while he was still in his mother's womb, he rejoiced in the coming of the Messiah. He literally recognized Jesus as the coming king when pregnant Mary came to visit pregnant Elizabeth. The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist actually received the Holy Spirit before he was born. Now, 30 years later, John, with his strange outfit, is at the Jordan River baptizing people. We know that he had some followers or disciples himself, and I can imagine on this particular day there was quite a crowd. So some are wet with water, some are maybe in the water, some are waiting to be baptized, and others just checking out the scene. Luke tells us that even some tax collectors came to be baptized on that day. Now, John was making a few interesting claims, proclamations. He said things like, I am the voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. This is the kind of thing that a herald would say when they went into a town to announce the coming of a king. They would run into the town and say, make way, make way, the king is coming, just to move people out the way so that the king can move in. Now John is announcing the coming of the king while baptizing at the Jordan River. In Matthew 3, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. He actually says, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. And we know John preached the baptism of repentance for sin. And we can assume that most of the people there, if not all of them, were Jews. Jews understood that with the forgiveness of sins comes some form of blood sacrifice. So I'm not sure how this baptism thing worked, but they were either coming from a blood sacrifice or they were on their way to a blood sacrifice. Or at the very least, they were thinking about a blood sacrifice because there is no forgiveness of sins without the blood of an animal. That animal could be a dove or a goat, and most often it was a lamb, especially during Passover. And what we know is these people came to be baptized, wanted forgiveness for their sins. So they actually got a baptism in water that cleansed them from their sins, which is very different to the baptism that we receive today. <clears throat> so now there's this group of Jews wanting the baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. Then comes a man walking towards them, and John stops everything and he makes this statement to these people, pointing to a man. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Two of John's disciples then left John to follow Jesus. John was the one who pointed them to Jesus, and one of those two was Andrew, who then went and called Peter, and Peter also came to join the disciples. It's like the first evangelism moment. And John and Andrew were already involved in the expansion of the kingdom of God. And very soon, Jesus had 12 very committed followers. The Lamb of God came to take away the sin of the world. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's what John came to proclaim. The kingdom of God is wherever God is acknowledged and served as king. It's not of this world, but it is in this world. So it's not a geographical thing or a political thing. It's a spiritual thing. And we are connected with other believers all over through visible, physical manifestations. The kingdom of God is already, not yet kingdom. It has arrived. It's here today. And it will only fully come in the future. Even though Jesus came to remove sin from this world, we're not yet living in the fullness of that. Right now in this present age, the enemy still has certain reign here on earth. But there'll come a day where there's no more sin, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. (laughs) The whole world is going to be restored back to the glory of God in its fullness. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became man, and through his life on earth, his death and resurrection, he very boldly stated that the kingdom of God has come. He also, from the beginning of his ministry, started to include people in this proclamation of the kingdom. Matthew 4, verse 23, there we go. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and sickness in the people. In the kingdom of God there is no sickness and no disease. This is all consequence of sin, of the fallen man. Matthew 10, verse 7, this is where Jesus starts sending out his disciples. He says, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. That's how they proclaim the kingdom. (laughs) These statements led to a war that's still waging today between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Colossians refers to this kingdom of light as the kingdom of the beloved son in whom we find redemption and the forgiveness of sins. There we are, a forgiven, redeemed people of God who received the incredible message of the gospel. Jesus taught us to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done as it is in heaven. We are here to declare the kingdom. He also told us, you are the light of the world. Where there is light, there can be no darkness. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend it. If we belong to Jesus, we are the light shining into the darkness. And partaking in the battle between the two kingdoms. To all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are his and he's ours. If I'm a child in the kingdom, that means I automatically receive an inheritance. With an inheritance comes certain responsibilities. Remember Diabia had an analogy of when you inherit a farm. Or maybe I inherit a few farms from my family, which would be strange because my family doesn't have farms. But it would be really cool. (laughs) And um, I now have a few farms. But it would leave me with a massive responsibility. A responsibility that's full of joy. And it's for free. It will bring me an income. I can go there on holiday. I can eat whatever I'm farming as much as I want. I'll get some free meat or whatever I'm farming with. And it will cost me nothing. But I'll have to steward that inheritance. I'm going to have to learn to start farming if I really want to enjoy the blessings of my inheritance. So let's look at First Peter, verse 3 to 5. First Peter 1, verse 3 to 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. New birth into a living hope. And we receive this by mercy, it's by grace, so it's for free, it's an inheritance. We are born into this inheritance, into a living hope, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. For who? The next verse, for you who through faith are shielded by God's power. That's the Holy Spirit, shielding us, protecting us empowering us until when until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time we're not there yet our salvation is still coming we've only received little glimpses of it Jesus is coming verse 6 starts by saying in this we greatly rejoice that's what we rejoice in We have received and responded to the message of the cross. We've already received an inheritance in Christ. Our inheritance is a living hope. Our inheritance is eternal life. We are now joining Jesus in his salvation work, saving people from death. Throughout the New Testament, we read how the kingdom of God started to expand. And now it just continue to grow and grow and grow. Let's go to Colossians 3. Oh, sorry, 1, verse 3 to 12. So Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, but I want us to read it as if it's God writing to us as his church, because that's what the word of God is. Paul had this excitement inside himself whenever he thought of other believers all over the world. He loved believers that he's never even met, and he prayed for them. He must have received this inner joy from Jesus himself, Because we know that Jesus gets excited about his church. And Jesus is praying for the church. So here we go. We're going to look at what the word of God, or let's say Jesus himself, is saying to us. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Jesus is praying for us. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. Okay, wait a bit. Where did you hear that? It says that they've heard of our faith in Christ and the love we have for all God's people. What faith and what love? The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for us in heaven. Wow. (laughs) That's where they saw it, in heaven, and that's where it comes from. My faith in Christ and the love I have for God's people is stored up for me in heaven, and I have access to that. About which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. So I've received this when I heard the true message of the gospel that has come to me. I know about this faith and love. I heard it in the true message of the gospel. That's where I got it from. I've already responded to it and I can access it all the time. I am a part of this message of the gospel that has come to me. Verse 6. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit. And growing throughout the whole world just as the day it has been since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. From the moment that John started proclaiming the kingdom, through the gospels, all the way through the timeline, until the moment you and I heard the message, and beyond still, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. This is the big picture that we're part of, the kingdom that has no end. You and I are part of and form part of and partake in the expansion of this kingdom. Now, there's this random sentence in verse 7 and 8. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Who on earth is Epaphras? Anyone? <laughs> According to this, he's the one who told you about Jesus, our fellow servant. So he's just a normal guy, part of the kingdom of God. A person who told you of this message. It was just an Epaphras, just a fellow servant and faithful minister on our behalf. So in my case, it was my mom and dad, Sunday school teachers, later on at school, and various people who are already part of the kingdom of God. Ordinary people like Epaphras living and sharing the message of truth. And then it says, on our behalf, Epaphras shared it on our behalf. On whose behalf? On behalf of Paul, he wrote this, maybe, yes. On behalf of Jesus Christ, I think so, certainly. But on behalf of us, all over the world, there are faithful ministers sharing the gospel to the nations on our behalf. Because we're part of this kingdom that continues to expand all over the world. And every time a person gets added to our numbers, our inheritance increases. Our army gets strengthened. And the coming of the fullness of the salvation is coming closer. For this reason, verse 9, the fact that we, as ordinary people, grow the kingdom all around the world, we will need something. So for this reason, since the day we heard about you, We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. That's the Spirit of God that has been poured out in us. Christ in us, giving us wisdom and understanding of his will. It's the Spirit that enables us to stand firm in him and to continue to advance his kingdom. His Spirit is the power in us. The power that helps us and guides us. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord (laughs) and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power that powers the Holy Spirit again, according to his might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Endurance and patience. Endurance and patience. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. We have been qualified to share in this inheritance in the kingdom of light. If you've ever wondered if you have what it takes, there it is. We need the Holy Spirit. And you've received him when you became a child of God. That's your inheritance. And you've been qualified. Okay, qualified to share in the inheritance. We've been given all these resources. For a reason. Faith in Christ, love for God's people, knowledge of His will, power in the Spirit, endurance and patience. All of this we freely received in Christ for a reason. We are in a battle, soldiers at war. And this is what we need in order to navigate through this dark world without conforming to it, but rather shining a light into this dark world. This war is kingdom against kingdom, light against darkness. So Matthew 11, verse 12. I often hear this scripture, and then I've got no idea what it means. It says, The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Let's um, just go to a bit of context. So we reverse to Matthew 10. If we want context, we just reverse a bit. So by this time, Jesus has been proclaiming the kingdom and performing many miracles in many towns and villages. He sent out his disciples in his authority to go and drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Basically, he sent them to go and proclaim the kingdom of God, to take part in the battle against sin. So that's in Matthew 10. Let's read verse 16 to 20. He only sent out the 12 um, with very specific instructions, and he did some battle talk. He told them, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils. And be flogged in the synagogues. On my account you will be brought before governors and kings. As witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This sounds like war. The twelve disciples who were happily following Jesus are now going to battle. And Jesus sounds like the commander of an army. He says, be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. You will be arrested. You will be flogged. You will be hated on my account. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. It will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. This is the promised Holy Spirit. The one we saw earlier is guarding us and protecting us and guiding us and giving us that power. Power two, be witnesses. It will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Jesus is referring to his father as your father. We have been made the children of God. And he's sending them out to battle and saying, Don't you worry, the spirit of God will be with you. Verse 21 is war talk. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child. Children will rebel against parents and put them to death. Sounds like Cape Town. Sounds like our day and age. This is the thing we're fighting against and we do it with the message of the gospel, the love of Christ and the holy spirit and his word is the only weapons we've really been received, we've really received. So those weapons are filled and powered by the holy spirit. Kingdom against kingdom, light against darkness, life overcoming death, love overcoming hate. You will be hated on by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm till the end will be saved. Stand firm till the end. Endurance and patience. That's what we saw earlier. Being strengthened with all power according to his might so that we may have great endurance and patience. It again says, will be saved. So it's future kingdom. The fullness of salvation is still coming. Later in this chapter... Jesus is bringing comfort again in verse 31. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus is not contradicting scriptures about peace. He is a God of peace. And the gospel is a gospel of peace. He's basically saying that we are at war and that he's come to earth to destroy the kingdom of darkness. And he's invited us to take part in that and he's going to give us the power to do so. People are going to hate us for it and it's going to cost us our lives. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. It costs us our lives. We live a life worthy of the Lord. It's no longer I live. Christ lives in me. The life and I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Okay, so chapter 11, which is what we wanted to get to. We just had some context there. John the Baptist is in prison. Just like Jesus said, some will be arrested. <laughs> and it seems like somehow he got some doubts. We all have doubts sometimes, and that's okay. As long as we continue to seek the truth, and then we stand up again, endurance and patience. So John sent his disciples to Jesus to find out if he is the one to come, if he actually the Messiah. This is the John who was proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. Make straight the way for the Lord. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He even stated that he is the voice crying in the wilderness that Isaiah prophesied about. And now he's got some doubts because he's in prison. And he's sending his disciples to Jesus to, to go and ask if he really is the Messiah. So, verse 4, Jesus replies, Matthew 11. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. This is the kingdom with visible, tangible evidence. The kingdom of God has arrived. And Jesus then started telling the crowd about John the Baptist. And in verse 12, we get that verse that we had earlier. He says, um, sorry, Matthew 11, verse 12. John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet, right? So verse 12 says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence And violent people have been raiding it. The ESV says the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. It's from the days of John the Baptist, not before, since the kingdom of heaven arrived, this battle has started. We're no longer under law. We partner with God in his great redemption plan. We have been given this mandate to partake and establish his kingdom, advancing it here on earth. And we simply do that by shining a light into the darkness until the fullness of salvation arrives. He said we do it violently, which doesn't mean we're filled with violence. It means we're intentional. We have to advance this kingdom by simply being the light. We've already got what it takes, as we saw earlier. So Jesus made it very clear why he came to earth. In 1 John 3, verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's it. Colossians 2, verse 9 15. For in Christ, the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. That's Jesus who came to earth. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. That's our new birth or our salvation. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of your legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public, spect- public spectacle of them by triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus has already defeated the power of sin over us. And as believers, we no longer have to face the punishment for our sins. He took it upon himself so that we don't have to. That's the message of the cross the one that Jesus came to proclaim and the one that we get to take part of. The enemy has been defeated. He has been disarmed and he's lost his power over us. Okay, so this is great, but what about the reality? Because sin is all around us and the consequence of sin is a real thing. It's uh, already, not yet. The enemy has been destroyed. He is being destroyed and he will be completely annihilated at the end. Right now... We destroy this enemy by receiving forgiveness for our sins. So the curse of sin is gone. Jesus came to give us life, life that overcomes death. Death, which was the punishment for our sin, is overcome when we receive the forgiveness of our sins. He came to destroy the work of the enemy. Yet there's this constant battle between light and darkness. We are the light of the world. We are the kingdom expanding into the world. And we've received this power to be witnesses. We are his plan to save the world. He can do it in an instant without us, but he chooses to make us apart. It's like a loving father who takes a child to work with him, and the child wants to do everything themselves. They want to do whatever the father's doing, and it's a slow, frustrating process because the father can do it very quickly without the help of the child, but somehow because of love, he includes the child because he loves him. And that's what God does with us. He takes us along with him as he does his salvation work so well. And we just need to show up. When we think of the Great Commission, we very sometimes feel this pressure to perform. There's no pressure. He has done the work and he's given us everything we need to partake to make disciples. So I want us to receive that release in that pressure today. So yes, Jesus did send us out to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe his word. And then he said, Behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. In Luke 24, there's another account of the Great Commission. He's simply telling them the gospel, the story of the cross and the resurrection. And then he's saying, you are witnesses of these things. It's the message that they've already received and responded to. And then they send him out to go and share. And then he ends it the same way as the Great Commission in Matthew. In Matthew he said, behold, I am with you always. In Luke he's saying, I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When Jesus left earth, he left the task of expanding the kingdom in the hands of his followers, empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is why we could say that we would do even greater things than he. The first time Jesus sent his disciples out in his authority, there was 12 of them. Later on in Luke 10, he sent out 72 disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God. In Acts 1.15, there were 120 believers waiting for the outpour of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2. The Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. 3,000 came and joined the kingdom. Later in Acts 2, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Acts 4, many heard the message, believed, and the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. That's without women and children. In Acts 5, multitudes were being saved. Acts 6, addition changed to multiplication. Acts 6, verse 7, religious leaders began to be converted. Acts 8, Samaritans came to Christ, so it's expanding into Samaria. Acts 8, an Ethiopian got saved, it's coming into Africa. Acts 9, entire towns committed to Christ. Acts 11, the great number of Gentiles became Christians, that's us. Large multitudes accepted the faith. Acts 16, Churches increased in number daily, Acts 17. Prominent women followed Jesus. The women are also included. Acts 19, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. I'm going to stop there for now, but it continues like that. Scholars believe that in the 30-year span of the book of Acts, 100,000 Jews joined the faith. That's without the Gentiles. And that was just to get us started. Today, there's more or less 2.18 billion Christians in the world, and it keeps increasing. From 1910 to 2010, that's 100 years, the number of Christians quadrupled in the world, from 600,000 to more than 2 billion. And this is continuing. So as we read in Colossians, since then, the gospel has been bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been since the day we heard it. And believe the true message of Christ. It's 2,000 years later and this multiplication has not yet stopped. And that verse in Philippians 1, I don't know, we all quote it from time to time. Philippians 1 verse 6, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will continue it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the salvation where God is going to complete it and we are automatically part of it. He doesn't need us to save the world but he invites us in because he wants to. And because he loves us and because we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we can shine a light in this world. We've been given the keys of heaven and the gates of Hades cannot prevail against it. Nothing can stop the expansion of the kingdom of earth. So we get to choose if we're going to take part in it. And that's how the Lord treasures us, in such a way that he sees my smallness, insignificance, failures, and inability to do what he planned for us. And then he says, I'll give you the power to do it. I'll give you the words to say. I'll go with you. Just go. Um, I'd love to share much more statistics about what's going on in the world, but I'm going to show you a short video to um, show how the kingdom has been expanding. And as we watch it, I don't want any of us to feel condemned because we're not doing our part. I want you to turn in gratitude and thankfulness that we can be a part of this. We have received the message of the gospel, and we have responded to it. We have received the Holy Spirit and the free gift. We've been called by Jesus Christ and qualified because of the Holy Spirit in us. And if you haven't yet responded to that, or you're thinking, I want to be a part of that, then I want you to think about that. But none of this... It's telling you that you have to, have to, have to. It's telling us you are. This is who we are. A redeemed people called by God to spread the word all around the world. And we are a part of that. After the video, I'm going to play a song. And that song is for us to, this is the response that we have. This is my my song that I play to psych myself up when I go out on the streets. So you're going to enjoy it. You can proclaim it. You can declare it. You can read it. You can do whatever you need to do. Um, but know that we are a part of the kingdom. Awesome.